a scripture reading from Psalms 132, verses 11 through 18. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priest I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. Then I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. The second scripture reading is Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quinarius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, <clears throat> to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And that while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them or place for them in the inn. Thank you, brothers. Let's pray. O oh Lord, what great news that our Savior has come. Help us in this time to see Jesus more clearly, that you would fill us by your Spirit and change us. It's in the precious name of Jesus we ask it. Amen. In the late 80s, uh, when I was four, let that sink in. <laughs> <laughs> my father became a Christian. And uh, three months after that, he led my brother, who was 10 at the time, to the Lord. And three months after that, the Lord used my newly converted father to bring me to a saving knowledge of Jesus. You know, how did we end up there? At 1184 Trexel Road in Montgomery, Alabama. Happening to watch Billy Graham that night. In his bedroom, not Billy Graham's bedroom, my dad's bedroom, on his bed, I remember it well. Think about all the details that had to come to that place in that moment. Think about how my dad's friends had continually led him to Christ, continued to tell him about Jesus. But that wasn't the first career my dad had. He had changed jobs several times. Went to law school and then... Did lawyering for a while, and that didn't work out so well. He went to get his tax law degree. He didn't like that, and uh, so he ended up in insurance. Think about all those steps to get him to those group of believers who would be faithful to tell him about Jesus. Or even the choice to go to Bama that would lead him to law school and there on. Or the fact that my father's grandfather was a Methodist preacher and had a big impact on him as a child. Think about your story of conversion and how, the, how all the details just seem to fit perfectly. It's almost if God had planned it that way, right? 
Think about all the details of Jesus' birth, all the prophecies that had been fulfilled, all the things that had to be just right for God Himself to take on flesh, to come into this world. All these details, both your conversion, if you've been converted, uh, and Jesus' arrival, these all fit into a great bigger plan. These are actually just snapshots. We watched a movie last night, my wife and I did, and we stopped about halfway through. And each scene is a lot of fun. But you know, each scene is a good scene, but it only fits in the bigger plan of the whole movie. And so these moments fit into God's great plan of redemption that He has set in motion from the beginning of the foundation of the world because He loves you. This is why we have Christmas. God, before He made the world, He chose a people to Himself not talking about God's people, the, the Jews, the ethnic people in the Old Testament. I'm talking about every tribe, language, nation group, tongue, people from all one of those that would come to know Him throughout all the ages, His church, and both the Old and New Testament, who would love Jesus, God's people, that He would save for their good and His glory. And with each passing chapter and season and covenant in the Bible, we learn more and more about our God and what it means to be part of God's people. God spoke to Adam and Noah, Abraham and Moses. And each one of these, He recommits Himself to His people, that He will be their God and they will be His people. And we learn a little bit more each time. It's kind of like with math. You know, you don't start with algebra, do you? You start with the, the lesser things. But the lesser things aren't unimportant things, right? They're the crucial things. You have to learn adding and subtracting so you can multiply and later do those differential things with a squiggly S. You have to have those things. And so finally we get to the covenant that God made with David, which is built on all the recommitments, all these covenants that God has made with His people in past generations, and we learn some pretty fantastic stuff that has a lot to do with Christmas. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, we see God talking to David, or rather through a prophet. And um, see, David wanted to build a house for God. He wanted to build a permanent temple so that God would have a dwelling place on earth that was a little bit nicer than just some goat skins. A really nice goat skin tent, that. But, but still, it was made out of goat skin. He wanted to use stone and gold. It would be gorgeous. God, though, He has bigger plans for, for surely the heavens cannot contain the Lord, how much less so a temple or even in us. He had bigger plans. He turned it around on David and said, you're not going to build me a house, I'm going to build you a house. Not a house made of bricks and mortar, of stone, nice wood, but a dynasty, a dynasty of kings. And we, we see this in Psalm 132 that Carl read. We see this in verse 11. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of your sons of your body I will set on your throne. So here with the Davidic covenant, with this, re, this agreement, this recommitment of God to His people, we find that God's people would be ruled by a king who followed God and taught God's people how to act, how to follow God. And He would rule with peace and justice and cause them to walk in godly ways. But there were some conditions. We see this in verse 12. If 
This is a big condition. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also shall forever sit on your throne. Well, just even a peripheral view of the Old Testament shows us that the Davidic kings had a mixed record. The northern kingdom, when the kingdom split, uh, the northern kingdom, which became known as Israel, uh, they they didn't ever have a good king. Not a single one of them. The southern kingdom of Judah, they had some good ones. They were mixed in there. But finally, in 586, the temple was destroyed. And the last king was no longer on the throne. The throne of David was empty. And yet, we just read from Psalm 132 that it was an an oath, a sure oath, that he would not turn back on. Well, it sounds like something bigger is going on, doesn't it? God's people were in trouble. They were in exile. And even when they came back from exile... They would be under the hands, under the rule of one successive pagan, authoritative, dictatorial, tyrannical regime after the next. The Babylonians and the Medo-Persians, then the Greeks, and then finally the Romans. They were sore and oppressed. They were oppressed and burdened. What about that promise, O God? What about that promise? Surely, isn't it time that it was again fulfilled? They were oppressed and burdened. But this really is the picture of us before we come to know Jesus, before our conversion, before we are justified before Him, that we are oppressed by Satan, we are oppressed by our sin, and we are burdened by the guilt of our sin that we have done with nowhere to turn. Now, we try lots of different things to to do things with our sin, to to cope with it. Therapeutic sins that that might make us feel better for a moment. Man-made religion, staying busy in the holidays, going to church at Christmas and Easter. Go to church at Christmas and Easter, but it's not going to save you. It's much like a backpack that's filled with 100 pounds of rocks, and and you might shift them to one side or the other of your backpack, and that's going to make one shoulder feel better for a few minutes. But it's not going to change the situation. We were sore and oppressed. We were burdened. And all of God's people were yearning for the day when finally the promise was fulfilled. What about that promise, Lord? A sure promise that He wouldn't turn His back on. But there is good news of a great joy. For God has always planned to redeem His people. None of this took Him by surprise. In fact, the failure of the Davidic kings was part of his plan. The man couldn't save God's people. He never was meant to. The Davidic kings were meant to point us to the true Davidic king. There was one coming in the line of promise who would bring God's kingdom to earth and make all things right. Psalm 132 tells us this in verses 13 through 18. For the Lord has chosen Zion... For he has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priest I will clothe with salvation, and her saints with shouts for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him... 
His crown will shine. God had chosen Zion, the the city of God's people, and here standing not just only for the city, but for all of God's people. He had chosen His people to dwell with them. And on earth, this is centered here in Zion, the temple or the tabernacle where God's people would come and worship with Him. Here is a special image of His presence. Not image. The special, um, his special presence on earth. Verse 14 says it is His resting place forever. Well, well how can this be? How can this be? Because the Ark of the Covenant is not in the, the temple anymore. And, and someone else is ruling over God's people. Verse 17 gives us the answer. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. What's going on here? David is dead. David's line is defunct, seemingly, right? There are plenty of folks who come from his line. Happens to be that Joseph is one of them. Surprised. But he's not on the throne. And yet in the middle of this, God is going to make a horn sprout for David. What does it even mean? What's the business end of a bull? Now, they might do some damage. I imagine they could do some damage with their hind legs. But if they want to intimidate, if they want to fight, they lower their head and they use their horns. A horn shows that someone is powerful and in control. And this is the imagery here. That a great king would come, would sprout from David. Whereas Isaiah 11, 1 puts it in other terms, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. It had long been understood that this figure is the Messiah, the Christ, the true king in the line of David. And y'all, we even know where he was going to be born. The Lashers read it a few minutes ago. Micah 5, 2. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Now Bethlehem was a little town, a backwater town. But by the time that Jesus had arrived, everyone knew this is where the Messiah was coming. Do you remember when the Magi come? They go to Jerusalem, they're looking for the king who's just been born. And Herod quickly grabs the scribes and Pharisees and says, Hey guys, where is this king to be born? They say, oh, that's an easy one, Herod. We got that. Everybody knows that. Micah 5 2 tells us it's Bethlehem. Everybody knows, but there's a problem. Jesus is on earth, but he's in Mary's belly. Where? In Nazareth. That seems to be a problem, doesn't it? The Messiah has come. The horn, the shoot of the stump of Jesse is finally going to arrive, but he's in Nazareth. Some things are important. Some things are optional. We got a van a couple years back, and uh, we had a list of what we wanted. Now, some of those things on the list were optional, and some weren't. Um, We wanted third row seating, and we wanted to be a Honda Odyssey, and those things had had to be there. But I didn't want it to be white. You know the problem with a white car? Is you have to wash it. Um, 
I didn't want a white car, but we now have a white Honda Odyssey. Why? Because because some things aren't crucial. Bethlehem was one of those crucial things. The Messiah could not be born in Nazareth. If he was born in Nazareth, he wasn't the Messiah. But you know, it turns out that problems aren't a problem with God. Let's say that again. Problems aren't a problem with God. He's got this thing. Think about this in the terms of our salvation. Of all the problems with getting us saved... You know, apart from Christ, we're like a robber who wants nothing to do with a policeman, C.S. Lewis said. In fact, we don't just dislike God, we hate Him. We're in rebellion against Him. We're comfortable in our sin. We don't even deserve the salvation. We especially don't deserve the salvation He's given us. From the outside in, it looks like those are a bunch of problems, but those are the very reasons God will save us. What's the solution here? Well... Gabriel said, for nothing will be impossible with God. And so from the beginning of the foundation of the world, God planned for good old Caesar to have a hankering for a few more tax dollars. And so Caesar Augustus called for a census of all the world to know exactly how much money he should be getting. That pridefully he could tell everyone exactly how many people he ruled over. So we read in Luke chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was, who was with child. Turns out Gabriel was right. Nothing will be impossible with God. Because Joseph was the descendant of David. And everyone had to go back to their ancestral home, and so they went to Bethlehem. And so it was on a night that was not so silent, and there was plenty of crying. The hay wasn't glowing, the straw wasn't radiant. A horn sprouted for David, and a shoot came forth from the stump of Jesse. The Messiah, God himself in human form, was born not in a palace, D.W. McMillan, or a clean Motel 6. He was born in a cattle stall amidst the smells of hay and dung, a quickly cleaned out manger place ready for him and his arrival. See, the promises that God had made were very true and were better than anyone had realized. For the new king in the line of David was not just a man. He was that. He is that. But he is also God. God came and He fulfilled the covenantal responsibilities of David and His line. Our Savior would come and obey every word that ushered forth from God's mouth. In our place, we who are the covenant breakers, we who have broken every law, He came as our King to save us. Hark the herald angel sings, says it well, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate Deity. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. God had promised in Psalm 32 that He would dwell with His people. And my friends, God came and dwelt with His people in a way that no one could ever have fathomed. John 1 says that He came and tabernacled or dwelt among us. 
What about the problem of our dark hearts, though? We need salvation. Back in Psalm 132, there's another promise. Verse 17b, we read, I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. What in the world is that about? Well, David, the king, is called the lamp of Israel in 2 Samuel. Why? Because he brought guidance to God's people. How much more so the horn that is sprouted for David. Jesus, a true Davidic king, the Messiah, who will not just be a flickering flame, but who tells us in John 8, I am the light of the world. There are numerous words in Greek for light, and the word that is used here is not one that speaks of a candle or a dim light in the darkness, but to the light of the sun, lighting up all things. And this He does in our hearts. He comes and lights us up. And He shows us what is true. And He shows us that salvation can be found in Yahweh, our God. Our Savior came to save us and to make us alive. In Him was life and the light. Excuse me. In Him was life and the life was the light of men, John 1 tells us. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Have you received this light? Has the light of Christ been shining in your hearts? The Messiah was wrapped in swaddling cloths and He was laid in a manger. Later, He would not be wrapped in swaddling cloths but in grave clothes. And He would not be laid in a manger but in a grave. But just like that manger paled in comparison, how could it, how could it hold the incarnate deity? Nor could the grave hold our Savior. For up from the grave He arose to save us from our sins. So that He might dwell with us and we might dwell with Him. He dwelt with us there for 33 years. He dwells with us now in our hearts by faith of the Holy Spirit. And one day, Revelation 21 says that this sprout of the horn of David... And the shoot that has come from the stump of Jesse, he will come back. Revelation 21 says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Come back, Lord Jesus. Come back soon. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, send your Son soon that he might make all things new that the leaves of the tree of life would be for the healing of the nations. Until then, heal our hearts, help our unbelief, work in our hearts this Advent season. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.